I'm never sure like what's Britain and what's the United Kingdom. So I've been to Scotland. I think that's, I guess that's Britain. Is that Britain or is that the UK? I don't know. Uh, I'm American. I don't know such things. How does my audio sound? It sounds, it sounds lovely. Does it sound like it normally sounds? It's like, it's like you're, I was going to say it's like you're right next to me, but because I'm wearing headphones, it's really like you're like right behind me, kind of whispering <laughs> in my ear. It's kind of weird, but it sounds nice. Creepy. I love it. I built a new audio box for oh, recording. Yeah. This one is a little bit smaller. So I was wondering, I'm curious if it's going to affect the, I'm just curious. I don't know what's going to, I don't know what's going to happen. What's yeah. going to happen, Mika? We'll make a podcast and it will be all right. Let's hope so. Um, so tell me about this trip you took. When you hear about places that people ride bikes, there's a handful of cities that are always like, those are the best bike cities in the world. Probably the, the two are at the top of everyone's list is Amsterdam in the Netherlands and Copenhagen in Denmark. Hmm. Uh, my buddy Dominic, who uh, I mentioned at least once on the podcast, he came over to Finland and he, he had been here before. We hung out in Finland for a couple of days and we pedaled around here and you know did all, all that good stuff. And then we decided to hit up Copenhagen for a few days before he went home. And everything you've heard about Copenhagen being amazing for bikes is true. And mm -hmm. I have some examples of that. And then the second part, just so I'm not telling everyone, hey, this is an awesome place and I got to go there and you didn't. Think a little bit about how they solve challenges that we also have in Baton Rouge. Like mm. put some perspective, that question that you always get asked in Baton Rouge is like, here's the thing that sucks about walking a bike in Baton Rouge. Why can't we do something about it? Okay, I'm in. Yeah. Let's talk about that. In the early 1900s, people were biking everywhere before they had cars. Same in Copenhagen, same in Denmark, same in Europe in general. And then cars were invented, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, cars were everywhere and gas was cheap. And then like everyone was driving. In the 60s and 70s, the bicycling rate in Copenhagen hit whatever their low was. And, and they may have been pretty much like any other city in, in Europe. Nothing special about them as far as bikes go. But then the city, the community, the council, you know, whatever together said, this is kind of dumb. There's people dying on our streets. I'm sitting in traffic. We don't want to do this anymore. So they thought, what if we go back a little bit to what it used to be like? Also, more importantly, what if we think about ways that it can be better? And I'm not talking about like, let's invent a crazy new technology to make biking better. Even really small things can make it better. Copenhagen is, let's say it's Baton Rouge sized-ish. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit bigger, but it's, it's, in, that, it's really? in that same kind of size. Oh boy, I, I didn't realize that. Comparative size to Baton Rouge, shall we say. And they have in the city of Copenhagen, they have 250 miles of separated bike trail that is like not bike lanes that doesn't include bike lanes so only completely separated bike trail they have 250 miles of that in the whole city i feel like you need to put a bigger emphasis on the word separated separated not literal emphasis like <laughs> excited emphasis <laughs> so what we mean by by separated is you could think of a bike lane as separated because there's a, there's a line that separates it from the rest of the track. Oh, boo. But when you, when you talk about a, a separated bicycle facility of any kind, then at minimum, you've got a curb or some bollards there. Even better, it's up on sidewalk level. And even better, it's like just not even next to the road. It's like it's completely owned separate trail. Mm -hmm. Right. So basically, there's 250 miles of bike trail there that isn't on the road. Let's put it that way. 
Yeah. On top of that, there's a bajillion bike lanes. On top of that, there are some really quiet streets where you can ride a bike along with cars. But just because there's just so much bicycle traffic there, you know, cars are used to. If you accidentally do something stupid and you end up on the road with cars, then people will be like, oh, that's a tourist. I've seen that a bajillion times before and I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to run them over. Oh, tourists. They're the best. Yeah. You know, that happened a handful of times when we were over there before. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, what, did you do this? <laughs> I mean, we were tourists, so we did do a bunch of dumb things, but okay. I don't know what you think of me and Dominic, aside from what you tell me, <laughs> Samantha, right? You okay. might be lying to me, so so who knows? But but I, I think me and Dominic are like pretty cool guys, especially yeah. when, when we're riding bikes. Like we ride bikes pretty good and we know bikes. Mm, yeah, totally. Coolest. That was very convincing. Um, <laughs> but I've never felt so like uncool or out of place as I did when we were riding bikes in Copenhagen. <gasps> Ooh, do tell. There's a few different reasons, but the big one over there is, I mean, Copenhagen is like a, a pretty cool, like trendy European capital city. There's cool and trendy people there. And despite the fact that there's a bajillion people on bikes there, we saw very few air quote cyclists, right? Mm. They mm. were just regular cool trendy people riding bikes to get to work what i mean by that is we saw people hundreds we saw thousands of people riding bikes to get to work in suits carrying briefcases Ooh. wearing dresses wearing high heels just pedaling to work in just like their regular clothes looking cool looking awesome just like that. knowing what they're doing me and dominic were like can we can you make a lift here yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mostly because you want to wear the high heels on a bike, right? I mean, I've got good legs already. Like, imagine how, <laughs> how good my legs would look in heels. The funny thing over there is like, you know, I'm talking about like their bike culture, but really the, the bike, again, air quotes culture is so like ingrained into how people live over there. It's almost not culture. I talked about how they had made certain decisions to make biking in, in Copenhagen better. And there's a handful of examples of those that I'll give today. If you want to go on the internet, you'll find tens, literally hundreds of them. The really simple, inexpensive ideas that just make biking easier over there. There's the, the bike trails, bike routes, bike lanes. They crisscross all around town. There are thousands of people using them every day. And what kind of needs do people have when they're on a commute? Like if you're in a car, you're you're maybe eating, drinking, you know, on your commute or whatever. People on bikes over there do that too. You're eating their sandwich, you're drinking your coffee or whatever. You have trash. What are you going to do with your ass? You know, you're on your bike to get off and put your, your trash, you know, in, in a trash can or whatever. It's kind of a pain in the butt. On the busiest uh, bike routes, they have trash cans for bikes that are leaned backwards in the direction you're coming from. So you can just drop your trash into that trash can as you're pedaling along. When you get to the busier intersections where there's, you get to the red light, they have a little stand on the right-hand side of the road where you you have a little handhold at hand level and a little foot pad kind of thing at foot level. So you don't even have to get off your bike. You just put your foot down and grab onto that little handle. Ooh, that's neat. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And then the probably the biggest thing, those are kind of little things, but the biggest thing is something called the green wave. When you're riding a bike at your 10 miles an hour or whatever you're doing on a road designed for cars, uh, traveling at you know, 25, 30 miles an hour, whatever they're doing, then you're out of sync with the traffic. You get to the intersection, it's already a red because it's designed to stay green with you know the car traffic. Mm -hmm. The majority of the roads, and particularly those ones that, are, that have a lot of bicycle use, the lights are designed to change at bicycle speed. So if you get on there and you ride at about that 10 miles per hour or whatever it is, then theoretically you never get a red light. You just pedal oh. all the way through with that speed. Wow. That's awesome. When someone in Baton Rouge says, we can't paint a line on this road to make a bike lane because it's hard and it costs money. <laughs> 
I, you know, I, I just find it hard to believe, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think there is definitely a level of concern and fear that comes along with having bikes on a road with cars that is valid because it is dangerous and scary for some people. And that's why I really love group rides because it allows people who do feel nervous about riding, it gives them an opportunity to go ride in a group and they feel a lot safer. But that doesn't mean that that is a reason to not create that infrastructure. It just means there's a better way to create that infrastructure. It reminds me of the government street project in Baton Rouge. Just to quickly summarize that, because it's definitely a long story. 20 years ago, that project started over 20 years ago with a half joking suggestion from a guy here in Baton Rouge named Gordon Meese. He went to one of these public planning meetings that they always have. And his suggestion was to convert Government Street into a three-lane road. It was a four-lane road previously. And there's lots of traffic, lots of problems. In particular, it was one of those corridors of the city that had really gotten hit hard during the crash in the 80s. So businesses were struggling. It was just a really, you know, rough area, economically speaking. Flash forward, it takes, you know, over 20 years for this project to actually get implemented. And it's still not fully complete, but it is pretty close to being complete today. But the funny part is, is people think and fought so much because of the fact that there were bike lanes included in the plan. The bike lanes were an afterthought. The bike lanes were, well, you have X amount of space on the street because if you reduce four lanes to three lanes, then you're going to have some leftover space on the sides. Well, you don't want the lanes to be bigger because that encourages people to speed. What do you do? Well, you don't waste the space you put in a bike lane. It's just some pain on the road, as you noted. And people raised hell thinking that the whole point of this project was for bicyclists. And Gordon said, I think that's hilarious because if this were really about bikes, there'd be a hell of a lot more than some pain on the ground. Right. You know, if this had anything to do with bikes and bike safety and bike advocacy, there'd be a lot more than that. And so when you put it in that perspective, it's like, oh, yeah. But all people saw was the addition of something that they've never seen before. You know, these bike lanes, they don't see it anywhere else in the city. So they naturally assume that that must be the reason for doing it, because why else would you do it? (laughs) And for Gordon, It was a selfish reason he wanted it. He wanted it to revitalize the area so that his business that he had on Government Street would get more attention because people drove so fast down the road, they couldn't see all the businesses that were actually still there. The hope was to slow down traffic. And sadly, the bikes are part of that infrastructure to slow traffic because hopefully, I say sadly, because they're basically human targets. And they're the thought speed, they're, is, they're, they're speed bumps. They're speed bumps. Yeah. The thought is, well, if we put a bunch of people who are unprotected by cars on a road, maybe people will slow down a little bit. And sometimes that is true. Sometimes, okay. not all the times. <laughs> The government street project, I think is, is a great like comparison to what you're talking about. As far as if you build it, it will become normal, but in the beginning, oh boy, (laughs) I wonder it's it's weird and scary in the beginning. 
Right. I wonder how Copenhagen, I wonder how people reacted to it when it first got, I'm sure there was a faction of people that were like, not my city, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm not going to bike anywhere. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's a handful of books on the subject that I intend to read at some point. Another note about Government Street. This is kind of interesting. Happened just today, earlier, before we got on this recording. Breaking um, news. Breaking, <laughs> breaking news actually comes from my old news station. The general manager gave me a buzz and he was like, so we've got this reporter who's part of this kind of like, they have this like uh, reporter exchange program. Uh-huh. It sounds silly, but it's, it, it's, that's I mean, what it's it is. It. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's like, it's a program where reporters can go to other countries to kind of learn the systems of reporting that are being done there. This particular program is sending someone from Germany to Baton Rouge. In the past, we had a reporter who went from Baton Rouge to Germany, and it was a very, you know, of course, eye-opening, life-changing, blah, 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 all those great things experience. So um, the hope is that this young person (laughs) uh, will have the same experience here. So anyway, the general manager called me and said that my name came up because (laughs) this reporter wants to live close to the news station, which is located in downtown Baton Rouge on government street. And unfortunately he's having a hard time finding places because the hotels are still kind of booked up. He was looking at Airbnb possibilities and all the Airbnb possibilities in downtown were like crazy expensive. So, um, you know, he's a journalist. We don't, they don't, they don't, I'm not one of you anymore. They don't. They don't make uh, lots of money. He has to be a little frugal. Anyway, my name came up because they were like, well, he doesn't want to have a car while he's here and he wants to live close. And so your name came up and it's so funny. That's the thing that like, oh, well, call Sam. If you don't have a car and you don't know what to you're, do. You're, and you're the, you've got you're the car free person. Yeah, I'm the car free person who can appeal to foreigners. So, so they want him to, you know, find a space close. So I actually referred him to this building on government street again, just not too far. It's called the electric depot. I said, you know, try there because that would be the perfect possibility. They have the bike share there so he could rent a bike and get to wherever he needs to go. And and it was funny because he was telling me about their conversation with him. He doesn't drive in Germany, like, and he doesn't want to have a car while he's here because, you know, who would want to drive around in a foreign country in a car? He wants to be able to get to wherever. So they were telling him like, you know, Baton Rouge really doesn't have the best public transportation and yada, yada. I'm sure probably making him very anxious. And I told them, I said, look, if you get him at the electric depot, he'll be fine with that distance. He'll be able to get to work because they're like, maybe somebody could pick him up. I was like, he'll walk. It's not that far. (laughs) It's like, if he's from Germany and he's used to traveling, not by car, that's not a far distance. It's only a far distance to people who travel by car places, car culture, it ingrains in you that distance is a bad thing, that moving outside of a vehicle is a bad thing. But for everybody else in the world, it's fine. It's a thing and it's not a big deal. So one more thing about government street is the synchronizing of the lights. I would walk to work every morning because I was only a five minute walk away and I had to cross government street to get to work. Well, they have 
crosswalks, and I'm using air quotes right now, they have crosswalks that do turn colors, but the timing on it, you have to walk at a, like a normal, healthy adult pace to be able to get across the street before the light changes. It's that short. I have many times exerted way too much energy trying to run when I was close to the light, but not close enough to be able to make it while it was green. And so I learned that if the light turned green and I wasn't at the road by that point, I was not going to make it across. So it just goes to show that like, imagine if I had a limp Mm -hmm. or if I had a, if I was an elderly person and I had to use a walker, but the natural assumption is, well, why would you be walking across the street in the first place? Right. Not to think that you need to make it accessible to pe- all people, but like, why would you even want to cross the street in the first place? Who- There's this cr- crazy kind of concept, which is related to that in how they design and decide where they put crosswalks. Oh. Is whenever somebody sends an email to the DOTD or whoever is designing the crosswalks and says, hey, this place is crazy dangerous to cross. I see people trying to cross here all the time. It's, it's, it's really bad. And they say, well, to put a crosswalk in first, you have to prove that there's a demand for it. We're not going to just put a crosswalk there if nobody's going to be using it. So we need to do a study to see how many people are crossing it right now. That's ridiculous. Right? So Perkins Road, five lanes, whatever crazy speeds people like get up to in there. They want to prove that some insane amount of people cross that already. And then they'll say, now we'll put a crosswalk in. It's another, I'm not going to say it's, it's, necessarily planned this way but it certainly is just another way that makes it impossible almost by design to put good things in the ground Mm, yeah that's a good point it's easier to do nothing you know if we go back to the the copenhagen story real quick i I, I mentioned that there's there's a handful of ways it's it's kind of similar to baton rouge and it's interesting how they've chosen you know to solve certain problems one of the ways it's similar to baton rouge and it won't be evident immediately you'll be like that's not similar to baton rouge at all but it'll, it'll come copenhagen is bisected like there's going pretty much through the middle of it so like one half of the city is on one side and the other half is another is a giant kind of canal it's a harbor city so there's a big giant not mississippi river wide maybe half a mississippi river wide canal the big big ships go up and down and then there's a bunch of other little canals that go left and right off of there and and do all kinds of twisty turnies and you can you can have a house or really more like an apartment next to one of those smaller canals you just get out of your house and you know take the boat to work i guess i guess uh, people do that i'm not sure but anyway <laughs> obviously completely unlike baton rouge baton rouge doesn't have canals but what baton rouge does have is streets like florida boulevard perkins road which for pedestrians and people on bikes are practically impossible to cross may, may as well be canals yeah. yeah we did a I'm not going to say we did a study. I guess technically we studied it, so we can call it a study. We did a study of Florida Boulevard where from east of downtown, you go a few blocks and there's the last lighted crosswalk somewhere around where the cemetery is. I don't remember exactly where it is. You can take Florida to all the way to the, to the Prairieville County Parish Line or whatever. There's a nine mile stretch of Florida where there's no way to cross on foot unless you want to like sprint across it. It may as well be 200 feet of canal you have to swim across if you're a pedestrian. Filled with gators that want Filled to eat gators. you. Filled with gators. Yeah. All bitey and stuff. So in Baton Rouge, we look at look at something like that and say, well, I guess we just want to cross that. <laughs> right? I guess people just don't cross that. There's a poor neighborhood on the other side. There's, you know, grocery stores on the other side. If, if people like want to cross there and get hit by cars, then I guess that'll just happen, right? right. In Copenhagen, they build 
bicycle and pedestrian ridges specifically for bikes and pedestrians across those tens of them across 100 foot stretches of water right these are not like simple riggedy cheap bridges these are like these are nice they have one way goes on this side, one goes on this side, pedestrians go here. Some of them even raise and lower if they're a little low when, you know, so the ships can go underneath. Mm-hmm. So you just think about what kind of priorities cities have. You know, we're thinking about in Baton Rouge, building a giant bridge across the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. But, well, we already have two, right? Right. But we have no way to get people to walk across Florida or Perkins or something like that. And, and those those are accomplished for fractions of the cost of this crazy bridge protest. Right. The street is already there. You just need to install a button. Right. And it goes boop, boop, boop. And you get to, you get to walk. I mean, that's, I don't know, possibly, I mean, I, I don't know what, what one of those buttons costs. It's probably not hundreds of dollars. It's probably a few thousands of dollars to like build and design that. But we're talking bajillions of dollars, you know, for these crazy Mississippi bridges when those bridges already exist, you know? Right. And I think it's important for anyone who doesn't know what Florida Boulevard is or is not from Baton Rouge or never been here before. Think of the interstate. It (laughs) is it is the equivalent of an interstate, but with stoplights. And those stops are roughly, I would say, about a mile or half a mile between. It's definitely not a short distance. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to cross and your only possibility is to cross at a light, you're going to have to go uh, a half a mile to a mile out of your way just to get to a less dangerous way of crossing, because I'm not saying it's a safe way of crossing. You still have cars. Yeah, those, 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 those are not marked and signed crosswalks. It's just a traffic light for cars that Correct. might be a little bit safer. Right. Emphasis on might than crossing, quote unquote, you know, mid block. Right. Well, and that's the thing is, the there are so many assumptions i think that go into that and when you look at the people who need to cross there's some of our more vulnerable populations they're either uh, economically challenged physically challenged i've seen people in wheelchairs trying to cross that and i'm just like are you freaking kidding me like how in the world can somebody in a wheelchair be forced to cross the interstate right. <laughs> you know when you think about that you say, well, what is your priority? Yes. And what is clearly not your priority, you know? And yes, maybe there are places like the interstate where people shouldn't be pedestrians, but then you should make it 100% inaccessible. If you're not going to make it safe, then make it unavailable, (laughs) you know, because that's the interstate. You make it to where it is not walkable, You don't get out and walk on it. And it is an impassable river, but you have bridges (laughs) that go over it and are passable. So, um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, after the slightly downer topic of how things are bad in in Baton Rouge or can be Mm. if you're walking or riding a bike, the, the flip side of that is like, you know, what can we do? Lots of things. Lots of things. So the big one that I've heard about, there is possibly a several trillion dollar road and infrastructure kind of package being prepared at federal level of which uh, Louisiana and Baton Rouge would get get a bunch of that kind of money. Yeah, sir. And if things go as they always have been, you know, people will build a couple of interstates and put some more lanes on roads. And mm-hmm. within a year or two, people will be complaining about traffic again because they just get used up. We talked about induced d- demand, you know, at, at some point. It's a never ending story. It's a, that never ending loop. Mm-hmm. But there's there's opportunity now where there could be money coming into Baton Rouge and Louisiana that could be spent in 
better, smarter, more efficient, more sustainable ways than just putting more lanes and more interstates and, and more road. There's people who are already trying to cross roads like Florida. There's people who are already trying to ride their bikes to work. There's young people in particular who no longer want to drive cars, who want to live in cool, trendy cities where stuff happens on the streets and there's restaurants and all that kind of stuff. There's Baton German Rouge. people that want to there's, come there's to Baton Rouge. Yeah. Right. They're like, what do you mean you can't walk to the store? He selected Baton Rouge, by the way. There's yeah. a list of places I would love to go. see. I would love to see what else is on that list. That might say a lot. Well, New Orleans was on the list, which I found huh. interesting as well. Yeah, he he selected because he knew the least about Baton Rouge. That was the funniest part. He <laughs> said, okay, okay, okay. That would make sense. <laughs> he said he he knew the least about Baton Rouge. In doing searches, he saw that there's a lot of news that comes out of here. Which again, those are all not good signs. <laughs> Those are all not necessarily good reasons, but for a uh, for somebody who wants to learn how to do hard news, it, it's a good thing. But any any hoozle, maybe we'll attract people for for good reasons at some point. There's a future in my head and, and in many people's heads where in 20, 30 years, cities that are like Baton Rouge right right now, people will just not be living in these kind of cities anymore. Young people, yeah. I'm talking about, they just won't, don't want to come here anymore. So it's, yeah. you know, economically, it also makes sense. You know, don't put your eggs in the and then let's drive everywhere basket because people are not going to want that forever. Get, at some point, gas in the ground is going to run out and it's going to be 10 bucks a gallon, you know? Absolutely. Well, my friend, this was lovely as always. Extra lovely, honestly, because I feel like it's been forever since we talked, but it's really only been a week and a half. So um, well, have a lovely day. All right. Bye, friend. Okay, bye. Oh, and Detroit pizza, my friend. It's on. Oh, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. I know. I know. It's going to be good.